0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: I happen to be uh, filling in on a radio uh, program. I was on with Bob and Brian. I I remember the big news stories of that day. One was, will Michael Jordan come out of retirement to play again at the age of 38? And the disappearance of a young woman named Chandra Levy. And then there was a report that a plane had gone into the World Trade Center. We figured it was some flight school out of New Jersey. But then the second plane hit, and the mood changed very quickly, and I remember Brian saying, we're at war. And then it dawned on me, i got to get to my day job. i got to get to Fox 6. And I remember driving by a park near my house, and there were some young moms and their kids there. People didn't carry cell phones back then. They probably hadn't turned on the TV. And I thought, that little park, like That's the last little bit of innocence. And they're going to go home in about 10 minutes or 20 minutes, and they're going to find out that the world has changed.
2: From the Fox 6 Studios, this is a special edition of Open Record, 20 years after 9-11. I'm Brian Polson and I'm here with my colleague Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda.
0: Hey, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, September 9th, two days before the 20th anniversary of the deadliest terrorist attack ever on American soil.
2: It was September 11th, 2001, when 19 militant extremists associated with a terrorist group known as Al-Qaeda hijacked four American jetliners and carried out suicide attacks that leveled both towers of the World Trade Center, cratered the Pentagon, and killed thousands of Americans, including hundreds of first responders.
0: Twenty years later, we're looking back at the day that truly changed the world. And joining us for that journey are Open Records executive producer Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. Hey, guys. And Fox 6 News director Jim Wilson. Hey, Jim.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for
2: having me today. It's nice having our news director on. And, and one of the reasons, and this was really Amanda's thought to have you here, is, is it, we, number one, we represent all of us, so, some slightly different time periods, but also having someone in the position that, that you were in now, uh, thinking about what it's like to cover an event like this. I know you weren't news director at the time, but obviously you have a whole new perspective, I imagine, on, on all of this. And maybe a, a really good place to start for us is, and i think everyone's doing this right now right we're all looking back at where were we 20 years ago and and it's sort of like the i wasn't around for the kennedy assassination but when 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 john f kennedy was assassinated where were you what were you doing i think everyone has that moment who was who was alive for that has that burned into their memories this is another one if you were alive if you were around for the attacks of september 11 2001 it's, it's unforgettable where you were, what you were doing. Uh, Jim, I'm going to start with you. What are your memories of that day?
3: Uh, I have very vivid memories of the day, actually. It was a beautiful day in Milwaukee. It was sunny. Uh, I was dropping my daughter, Betsy, off at her uh, grade school that day. And I heard on the radio that a plane had crashed into one of the towers. And my immediate thought was, holy smokes, what a tragedy. How horrible. Horrible that must have been for the people on there. Something must have tragically went wrong, and then the wheels kind of started turning in my own head. Of you know, as I started driving towards work, uh, thinking, okay, this doesn't make sense. There's no way a plane flew into the World Trade Center. Right about that time, I got a call from the assignment desk that said, "Hey, there's a plane into the tower. Go to the airport. We'll set you up with a live truck, and uh, we'll start talking to people who are." Um, you know, at the airport, either waiting to go to New York or maybe they're coming in from New York, something like that. So that's how the day started for me. Just a absolutely beautiful day. Had a lot of hope uh, at the start of the day. And unfortunately, by the end of the day, uh, a lot of despair, really. Sarah, how about you?
4: Um, I was uh, not quite working yet. I was uh, uh, just a few months shy of 20 years old. And so I was in my second year at UW Green Bay. And uh, I was in class or either transitioning out of class um, when it all kind of started happening. And I remember coming back to my on-campus apartment and no one else was there. It was just me. Um, And so the TV wasn't on or anything like that. And obviously we didn't have the cell phone communication wasn't anything like it is now, obviously. So it's not like I had a cell phone or things were blowing up, you know, on my phone or whatever. So I go to my computer, my laptop in my dorm room or whatever, and I had AOL instant messenger, which is like, you know, you can chat with your friends. That's the time. Yeah, right. Um, UWGBGal20, that was my handle. Anyway, so, um, you know, I, I log on and I'm seeing some people's away messages and they're like, I, a tragic day for the United States of America and, you know, something, God bless everyone. And, you know, all these messages where I'm like, what the heck's going on? Like, what did I miss? I was only in class for 50 minutes, you know. And so then I walk over to the TV and I turn it on and it was like, oh, my gosh. And I don't know. After that, things get a little, you know, fuzzy about what happened and how I felt after that. But I just remember sitting there on the TV just watching hours and hours of television and thinking, oh my gosh, like when I left here an hour ago, it wasn't like this. And now here we are. And you know, just in that time frame, how much changed. So Sarah, I, w- I was
0: a little younger than you. I was in sixth grade. And so that's kind of at the stage where you want to start being treated like an adult, but you're not an adult. So I'm in class and All of a sudden, a a bunch of our teachers kind of gather together. They're talking in hushed tones. They look really concerned. And no one would tell us what was going on. And I just, I remember being so frustrated and so worried. We knew something bad had happened, but no one would tell us. And the idea was, you know, we want your parents to be able to explain it to you. But we went the whole day really stressed out because we knew it must have been terrible we had never seen anything like that with our teachers before and then we get sent home and and I walked in the house and my mom had the TV on at 4 hours I really do think when we talk about 911 being a a moment um, for television news and specifically cable news it was because you know the the phrase everyone heard was turn on your TV people were just glued to watching what happened, and I don't think the the TV ever shut off in our house for the next what felt like weeks. It, it was probably probably days, but I just remember that feeling of frustration that no one would tell us what was happening, and I didn't really absorb the gravity of it right away. I, I mean, and when you think about all the changes that happened after, I don't know what it's like to go through an airport without a crazy amount of security. I don't know what it's like to not have to separate your liquids from the rest of your bags. There are a lot of things that changed in that moment that because I was so young, I don't think I appreciated what those changes would mean to day-to-day life much later. Now the next day our school had an assembly. They talked to us about what happened, but I don't I still don't think we understood the gravity, but my, my biggest memory is actually the day after 9 11 when we were in class. It was Catholic school, so we were making like a, a prayer board, writing down our, our prayer intentions after 9 11. And there was one kid in my class who, um, and this was actually a very, very thoughtful prayer from, from a sixth grader, but on his little card, he wrote that he wanted to pray for all the civilians in Afghanistan. And I remember our teacher, who was later fired, and you're about to find out why, went on this rant saying she was not going to put that card on our prayer board. She was something to the effect of, we weren't going to pray for those Muslim people. And we had a Muslim girl in our class who had just started wearing a hijab, and it, it was, I'll never forget the look on her face when my teacher went on that rant. Now, the teacher was later fired, but at that point, that little girl had, had dropped out of our class because our teacher, just in, in the following days, was so outwardly mean to her, and that's when I started noticing, oh, there, there's going to be a, an attitude here that, that can really change, and I had never picked up on those dynamics before.
2: So you mentioned sixth grade and um, not knowing what was going on because it was all happening. People who had televisions could see what was going on. So you were sort of kept in the dark. I remember actually when I was in seventh grade, which was uh, uh, quite a long time ago, the Challenger explosion. Uh, some of our classmates happened to be in the library watching, and they saw the Challenger explosion happen live. And I remember them coming out of the library shell-shocked and some in tears, and we all thought, what's going on? And and so that I, I can sort of empathize with that sort of not knowing what happened. And, of course, the teachers didn't want to say more at that point. Um, but for me, 9-11 happened when I was working in news. I was actually in Kansas City at what at the time was our sister station, WDAF, Fox uh, Fox 4. Um, is it Fox 6 just rolls off the tongue now. Uh, but I was working at Fox 4, and I worked in a special projects unit. So I didn't usually actually get in until around 930. And I was at home uh, kind of going through my morning Get ready for work routine, and I didn't yet have children. I now have uh, one in college and one who's uh, in in uh, high school, so I, I hadn't yet, um, you know, sort of had that part of my morning, you know, set aside for other things. I had time to watch morning news, and and I hate to admit it, but it's the reality. I was watching, even though I worked for Fox Four, I was watching the Today Show that morning, and uh, and remember they had video running. They kept going to the video of the of the World Trade Center. Um, with smoke coming out of the top and talking about a small plane had crashed. A small plane. They kept saying it was a small plane. So you assume a Cessna or something like that. And and it, yeah, it's a tragedy, and boy, it's crazy video. Wow. But I didn't think it was going to affect my day in any way. This was something that they were covering in New York, and it was going to make some great national news and, and a pretty tragic event, but it wasn't going to affect my day. I still remember, though, watching live as the second plane hit. And that moment of realization, oh my God, this wasn't an accident and that wasn't a small plane. These are full jetliners. And uh, that moment of realization, a lot goes through your mind. As a human, you go, you know, oh my God, what's happening? How could someone do this on purpose? And then as a person who works in news, you go, oh my God, I've got to get in the shower and get to work. (laughs) This is going to be a big day. Um, But my first response. With an event like that, you don't know how you're going to react. And and, uh, I'm glad my mom is a big fan of the podcast. She'll remember this. My first response without thinking was to call my mom. Are you watching this? Can you believe this? And she was. And so... You know, as that unfolded, I'm getting ready for work. I'm hustling. And I, I said this uh, when I was recently interviewed. We, we had a uh, photographer, uh, Jerry Emig, and photographer Andy Conkle interviewing uh, Fox 6 staff members for their memories of 9-11 here recently. And, and and when they talked to me, I I realized I don't actually remember at what point, if I was still at home, if I was at work, I think I was at work by this point. But I remember watching coverage of the third plane hitting the Pentagon and that was the moment where this went from the oh my god this is some kind of intentional attack to we're at war and you can say all these years later we know there were four planes we know that was the extent of the attack we know how many people died we know that the towers fell we know one plane crashed in Pennsylvania we didn't know that that day and i still what what is most vivid in my memory from that morning is the thought of how many more planes are there and are they coming to our city What's going to happen next? And I think for the next several hours, at least the next couple of hours, there was a real fear that this wasn't the last of it. Now, obviously, we started to learn fairly soon that all the planes had been grounded and they had a pretty good idea. There were no more planes missing um, but or unaccounted for. But for a period of time, there was real fear that this could be much greater than what it was. And I just remember that palpable fear that day. And then the next question as a news person was, what now? And that was the beginning of weeks and weeks of coverage.
0: Jim, I'm curious about how you're reflecting on 9-11 now. As Brian mentioned, you're now in a position where you really direct news coverage. So how does that impact how, how you think about that day and how you're reflecting on that day?
3: Well, it was a, a Herculean task you know, to try to cover that kind of thing, especially when it's predominantly on the East Coast and uh, you don't have anything locally. I mean, they were evacuating buildings. They, I remember the Sears Tower was uh, a, considered a target. Uh, they were getting people out of there. Our U.S. Bank building at the time, uh, they were... Just the fact that you called it Sears Tower tells us where we were in yeah, time on that. How, how long ago that was, right? So um, I, I, on the day myself, I was I was like laser focused. My assignment was the airport. And so we got there and we were talking to people. And of course, by the time I got there, the second plane was crashing into the second tower and you could hear a pin drop uh, in the airport at that point, other than the, just the utter gasp of, Oh my God, you know, kind of, uh, Um, comments that were coming from people, but they really weren't talking to each other much at that point. And so what was going on outside of the airport and outside of television, I really wasn't too certain of, right? But I knew it was a big effort to mobilize what we had. And I knew at that point that I was going to probably be on the air for 24 hours, maybe longer. Um, Didn't know, didn't know what the future held. That was the only time really in my life when I didn't know what the future held. Um, We were just kind of going as things were happening and reacting uh, accordingly. And obviously we were concerned just being at the airport, right? That could have possibly been a targeted area as well. So, you know, getting people out of the area, you know, getting them to some sort of, you know, place that they could stay. Remember if an airplane was flying over Milwaukee, regardless of where it was going, it landed in Milwaukee, right? So there were a ton of people in the airport that day that had nowhere to go. They didn't know anything about Milwaukee. They weren't planning on being in Milwaukee, but I will say the one thing that really showed me something about, uh, Milwaukeeans and Americans in general is I saw people coming to the airport, picking up their loved ones and then picking up total strangers taking them home, giving them a bed to sleep in, giving them a meal to eat, not knowing how long this was going to last, right? Because as Brian said, the FAA had shut down all air travel by that point. And so by, I don't know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, the airport was pretty empty. It was a couple of media crews and most people were gone. There wasn't anybody landing anymore. Most people had found some way to you know, find a, find a hotel or end up at somebody's house, a total stranger's house. And, uh, that's kind of how the day was playing out for me down there. But as far as the big picture part of this, yeah, I knew this was going to go for weeks, uh, as far as, you know, coverage plans. And it just meant that, you know, I was, I didn't see my family for 24 hours. I mean, think about that as somebody who's covering, I had three young children, and uh, a wife who were pretty frightened right they were they didn't understand they didn't know what was going on and you know dads in a job that can't really come home right i really what we were doing was you know it probably in the history of my career is probably the most important thing i'd ever done was that day right was just keeping people informed as best we could as to what was happening uh, in the world. Remember the president was, they were playing a shell game with the president, right? They were flying him from point to point to point uh, because they were worried that, you know, he might be, you know, the next uh, plan of attack, right? So uh, there was a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the afternoon there of, you know, quite frankly, you know, my family not even knowing if, you know, what if tomorrow was coming, right? I mean, it, it sounds kind of crazy now to talk about it that way. It didn't but that day. Sure didn't that day. And so, um, you know, you kind of, as a journalist, you kind of go on autopilot sometimes and you just grind through and you do what you have to do to, to get the job done. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we were all like, this is bigger than any one of us, any bigger, even. You know, and then our families at the very moment. So that's kind of, you know, my main recollection. You know, of the day and kind of how we covered this thing. Amanda, you're
2: talking about being in sixth grade and the teachers not wanting to sort of, or, or how to figure out how to tell you about this and 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 how to how to let you know what was going on. I remember. Uh, My assignment that day, because most of the coverage was national, right? I mean, the the cable networks were going to cover, or the networks were going to cover this, and we were going to just cut in with some local content now and again. But primarily, this was wall to wall national coverage. So, what do you do locally? Well, they sent me out to just go find something. You know, we don't know right now. Go find a story. And so we went out, and and to a large degree, the day. Looked like a normal day. I mean, obviously there were fewer people on the roads. People were glued to televisions, but we got to um, Ward Parkway in Kansas City, south of downtown. And I remember seeing a, a, a kindergarten field trip. There were some teachers leading the students around in a park. And, and you, uh, Sarah and Amanda, both as moms now, you you know sort of imagine that sometimes you have to tell kids about things that are very adult and you have to find a way to explain it to them. These kids and their teachers, I didn't know what they knew at all. So we approached them and I, and I asked, do you, do, do you know what's going on right now in our country? And one of the teachers, I uh, was able to pull aside, and she said, well, we got a call from the school. We know, but we, we we are going to tell the kids, we're going to find a moment to bring them all together and sort of tell them as best we can, um, you know, in a reassuring way what's happening. And I and I realized this was a moment in history. And I said, you know, look, we are witnesses to history. Do you mind if we observe as you tell them? And so the teacher let us put a microphone on her. and uh, And I don't know if anyone back at Fox 4 in Kansas City has this in the archives. I sure hope they do. Uh, because I'd love to find some of these kids now, but the teacher sat them all down outside. It's a beautiful sunny day. And uh, and she, she said um, something to the effect of some bad men have knocked some of our tall buildings in New York City down, but you're okay and your parents are okay and we're all going to be okay. And it, it, there was more after that, but that's what stood out to me was the immediate reassurance and sort of just at that encapsulation, the s- summation of this is some bad men knocked down our tall buildings in New York City. And if you really step back from it, that that's exactly what this was. You can add all sorts of other detail There were some bad men who knocked down our tallest buildings in New York City. And the real immediate concern was, are we all safe? And that's what she made sure those kids knew. And I really would love to know what they were thinking when they heard that. You know, they're five years old, maybe six years old. I don't know how uh, kindergartners were at that time. It slides around sometimes. But I I remember the looks on some of their faces. They looked like a right fielder at a t-ball game. You know, they're picking up grass. They're looking around. They're not really paying that close of attention. A few were right on the teacher. And I, and I wonder what they remember of that day it would be very interesting now, 20 years later.
0: Well, and I think that that day changed the concept of what is our backyard, right? So at the time, I, I grew up in New England. So that's where I was. So proximity-wise, it was closer to New York. I had classmates whose parents regularly went to New York for trips. Actually, if I re, if I'm remembering this right, One of the teachers in our school was worried because her husband was supposed to be, like he was on a business trip to New York City, and one of his stops was supposed to be the World Trade Center, and uh, he wasn't there, and and he ended up being fine. But I think that idea of what feels close to you really changed, because before that, something happening in New York, you know, as a kid, you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, okay, that seems super far away but when it's something of this magnitude the the concept of something hitting close to home it just it shifts. Sarah, I see you nodding.
4: Well, and I think too that um thinking about um events that have happened, news events that have happened since 9/11, you know, and there's, you know, you there's the Boston Strong and, you know, Miami strong you know all these things. And, and one thing, and I know this came out a lot in some of these, um, you know, interviews that I listened to with the, the Fox six staffers about what they remember of nine 11. And a lot of it was the never forget, uh, you know, line that, that, that was something where in the moment we were all one, we It became everything sides dropped. You weren't you weren't Republican or Democrat or riding, you know, the middle. You everyone was united. Everyone felt like one team. And, And for that, in the moments and days and weeks following, I felt more patriotic about the United States of America than I ever had. And I was 19, 20 years old. I mean, at that point, I hadn't chosen a career path. I was like, you know, still doing general education classes in college you know so um but for watching that i i felt a sense of patriotism that i had never felt before i mean sure you know you go to parades and you know fourth of july stuff but there was just something that felt different and and you had this empathy to people that you had never met. These other, these victims families are searching for their loved ones, holding these posters up. And, and I'm like, how can I help? I'm sitting here in green Bay, Wisconsin. What, what can I even do? And so I thought maybe like, you know, as my patriotism level rose, like, okay, maybe that's what I can do. I can be a better American. Like I can be loyal to the country or, you know, whatever. So it just, it just felt different um, for me following that. And I, Kind of got that sense from a lot of people.
3: I, I totally agree with that. I think uh, the one thing that came out of this for me was just the sense of unity that this country uh, it came to uh, during that time. Um, I've never seen anything uh, like it before or since. And it was a very good feeling for me uh, that we were so united, that we were all trying to work to help each other, right? Kind of the way you kind of hope life would work, right? I mean, Ah, uh, we were all Americans, whether we were New Yorkers or Milwaukeeans or San Franciscans or who whatever, right across the country. We were all Americans at that time, and there was very little division at least for a while. Um, of course, politics started seeping into it a few weeks later. But um, you know, that was the one thing that I'll take away from this uh, was there was a time when we showed that you can be united in this country. And yes, it was a very bad thing that happened, but something really great, uh, at least from my perspective, uh, came out of it.
2: It it was undeniable how united the country felt for a brief period. Unfortunately, it was also undeniable that it was brief um, or all too brief. I mean, we obviously look at where we are now in this country and the incredible divisiveness. I do wonder, looking back 20 years ago, what if Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these things had been what they are when nine eleven happened? Would that unity have lasted even as long as it did? Um, Or, you know, would things have been different? And and can't say looking back, I think it would have had an impact. But I do think one of the biggest factors, um, we talked about it a lot already on this podcast, but that palpable fear that day, it was real. We had loved ones who didn't know how much danger they were in or their family members, loved ones, what was going to happen next? There was real, genuine uncertainty as to what this meant, and I still remember actually in the days and weeks following, one of the greatest fears was, um, and this is why they call it terrorism. Terrorism works. Uh, I remember the live beheadings. Uh, there was a, and I can't remember. There was a contractor who was beheaded uh, on on camera, and they and they uh, you know sent that video. The the uh, Al Qaeda sent that video to the world, and that idea, the 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 awful and I watched that video because I felt it was my duty as an American as hard as it was to watch I watched it because I thought it was if we don't you know we're we're turning our eyes away from something critically important but in doing so that had an effect on me which I'm sure was the intended effect it was incredibly frightening that could happen to any of us at least that's what goes through your mind what if that was someone I love what if that was me and when you have palpable, genuine, real fear, I think it's definitely a lot easier to come together with others who have that same fear and to feel like you're united as one because you're united against this fear. It's, it's, a, it's a, a human, you know, self-preservation uh, instinct. And so I think that had a lot to do with that unity. We were attacked by a common enemy. And at the time, we weren't necessarily sure who that enemy was, where they came from, or why, at least not initially. But we, we all had the same fear, and, and we had the same resolve to be protected from that fear. I think that helped build the unity. It's interesting to look 20 years later at the COVID-19 pandemic and questions about whether some people fear the pandemic as much as others think they should. And there's obviously a lot of divisions over that. Um, there's, there's not the same unity of fear. And I think that that may have something to do with there not being the same unity of of how we feel together. I don't know. Maybe that's just me thinking out loud. Maybe that's BS. I don't know. But it's a thought that comes to mind because certainly the response to the pandemic has been tremendously different from the initial response to nine eleven. Well,
0: and I think that's partially because, uh, and, and you alluded to it, Brian, the fear that can originally unite, that same fear then can also lead to divisions. So you know the the harassment of muslim americans right that fear is what led to that the conversations we had in the aftermath about privacy and civil liberties and what are you willing to give up for the promise of security that was a very divisive conversation and that was also blanketed in fear so while I do think th- th- there is a, a unifying factor, I think just with with the nature of how that fear works, it is going to divide. And you mentioned social media and, and Twitter and Instagram. It took, if I remember right, and again, I, w- I was in sixth grade, so I don't know if I remember right, but if I remember correctly, it took a while for some of the 9-11 conspiracy theories to start to form. If we had had social media back then, I think it maybe would have taken seconds, minutes, uh, you know, dealing with things like doctored footage. Uh, there there are just a whole bunch of things that now those of us covering in news would have to navigate if it happened today that uh, it just didn't even exist back then. We had no concept of it. Jim, I'm sure that's something you think about a lot.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. If social media had been... Then, what it is now, this would have been a totally different conversation, I believe. I think within you know families and things like that, friend groups, things like that, the unity would have been very strong. But I mean, the difference for me at the time was it was so real and so uncertain and so urgent at the time. That's the big difference between a pandemic and what was going on that day. We literally didn't know what was going to happen in the next minute let alone what was going to happen tomorrow, right? So it was it was kind of like a full-fledged sprint the entire day of just not knowing in your mind what in the world is going to happen next. And I think that was the real big difference as to why people responded the way they did because as Sarah was saying, if you're like a person like Sarah, you just want to help. What can I do to help? And it was probably the most helpless feeling situation you could possibly be in at the, at that very moment, because things were still developing, you know, it just, you didn't have a lot of time to think about conspiracy theories or anything else because you were just plowing through, you know, one terrible thing after another. I mean, there were a series of horrible things that happened that day. And You just sat on the edge of your seat waiting to see what the next thing was, because, you know, we'd already seen four or five things that had happened that were just horrific know, yeah, I think about uh,
2: the comment you made earlier, Amanda, ab- about not really living in a, a life that you remember there not being, you know, all of this airport security. Obviously, that's one of the big things that changed universally all around the world was the step up in airport security. It's funny to watch old TV shows sometimes and not that old. I mean, even like early episodes of Friends where someone's running to chase someone down, they run past the gate uh, clerk and, and they're running down the ramp after someone and no one stops them. And, you know, uh, they're, they're not a attacked by uh, TSA agents and, and you know, uh, uh, officers of any kind. So it, things have obviously changed in that rigor. But I think about what you also said about giving up liberties for, uh, in, in exchange for security. I, I think the vast majority of us have, have come to uh, terms with the idea that, OK, if we have to take off our shoes at the airport – that's fine in in the name of security. If I can't have more than three ounces of liquid going onto an airplane, I'm willing to give up, you know, the the larger bottle of shampoo in my carry on, um, so that we can have a safe flight. But 20 years later, we're talking about some larger things that have obviously set some people uh, against the remedies for the COVID-19 pandemic, which are wear a mask every day or wear a mask for hours at a time or have your children wear masks all day when they're in school or you or get a shot that maybe you do or don't feel comfortable getting. Obviously, th- we're dealing with some of those same questions of how much do you give up for the security of others? Um, but obviously, on in terms of the things being asked to if, that we're being asked to change, I guess they're on a little grander scale now.
0: Well, Brian, you have you have a daughter in college now, and I know one of the things we talked about ahead of this recording was, what's the impact on kids who really, truly have no memory before 9-11? This has just been their entire lives. So what have you seen as a parent uh, as, as it goes with that impact on kids?
2: Well, what's interesting is they remember nine eleven. Well, they don't. I mean, they weren't here for it. They, so they don't remember nine eleven, but they know of nine They've learned about it in school. But they, they know of it and have learned of it the way I learned of Pearl Harbor. Um, it was a history lesson. And if, you know, maybe you had a grandfather who really wanted to tell you all about it, you got some real details about that history lesson from an individual perspective, not just a, a history book or a teacher. But beyond that, they don't really know much more. And, and obviously, when this first happened, those visuals— We're on the air constantly. And Jim, as a news director, you know, there's a certain point at which you have to say, let's stop showing people jumping off of buildings. Let's stop showing the towers falling because there's a psychological effect that that can have. And there are real people who died there. And do you really want to see your loved one dying on television over and over again? So we stopped seeing it. But because we stopped seeing it, we don't see those images nearly as much anymore. And we see them some around the time of the anniversary. But nothing like we saw back then. And and I just remember being gripped by documentaries that were put together that pieced together every second of that day from multiple camera angles, from multiple spots on the ground and the towers, wherever it was. And and you really get that dramatic sense of what unfolded that day. That was impactful. For my kids, they just know it as a history lesson. They're aware of what happened. But it's one thing to know something factually. It's another thing to have experienced the feeling and know what that was like. And there's really no way to teach that feeling. Um, I do think it's important that in the right circumstances with the right conversation that they be exposed to some of that because those feelings are important. It's, you know, Sarah, you mentioned never forget. I mean, we talked about it, you know, if, if Twitter had been around, it would be, it would have been a hashtag hashtag never forget. Uh, But the reality is time does make it harder to remember in the same level of detail and to remember the emotions and the feelings. You can teach facts, you can't teach feelings. And um and I think that's what gets farther and farther away as this goes on. So for my kids, I mean they're aware of it and I talk to them about it, but I don't think they will ever be able to understand it the way we were uh you know for those of us who were there that day and not there but here for the event.
0: And that's the hard part about what we do, right? You're trying to strike the balance of making sure that we show people what's happening and we are covering this because we are documenting history but then at some point you have to make decisions about the images people see because that's also inspiring uh, a response with that trauma i mean we lived collective trauma as a nation and so at what point do you make those decisions? Those are, those are some tough calls. And then when do you revisit those images? If you completely bury them, do you risk people maybe not forgetting but not, not remembering the impact? Those are questions we still struggle with.
3: Yeah, I mean, I talked with Brian Graham yesterday well, actually, a couple of days ago, just about what we're going to show, and what we're not going to show. We're, we will never show that plane going into a building again. It's it was just too powerful. It was too terrible to it's something we didn't need to expose people to. Again, it happened. And yes, we showed it a bunch as it happened. But after time, we decided we're not going to use that anymore. And. There's other images there that are equally as horrible, right? You, we're showing shots of the towers with you know on fire and smoke blowing out, but we're not showing the towers collapsing. We're not showing those planes going into uh, those buildings because, uh, at least in my opinion, that's that's too much and it's unnecessary. Um, we all know, all of us that lived us lived it, you know. We saw it, we witnessed it. We don't need to relive it. Matter of fact, I haven't even. I haven't even spoken of this in 20 years, really, my experience from that day, Uh, but it's just as vivid today to me as it was 20 years ago. And, you know, the one thing, you know, I always try to find the positive out of things. And I remember teaching our kids, Ann and I, you know, had conversations with our kids after this, and we focused on not the bad people who ran planes in the buildings, but the heroes who ran into the buildings um Todd Beamer who was on that plane that crashed in Pennsylvania you know that famous line of let's roll you know that kind of thing i mean that i had a good friend who knew him personally said it was exactly who he was you know kind of thing so we really focus with our kids just on the the good that are in, is in people instead of the evil uh, that is in people and so um yeah i don't I don't dwell a whole lot on the the bad people that crashed the planes into that. We really look at the firefighters and the police officers and the people in you know Milwaukee who took people in, you know, that they that were total strangers, those kinds of things and that's the kind of thing that we try to teach our kids that's that's what you do in a situation like this, right? You try to you try to help people wherever you can. So, um, you know, a lot of mixed emotions over the years, uh, on all of this and, and actually turning up quite a bit of emotion, just talking about it for the last 45 minutes here. But, um, you know, you, you, you move on and you figure out, you know, how to move forward. And it was a very difficult time for us as a country, uh, from, you know, kindergartners to, you know, war bets. i mean it was it just ran the gamut of you know how do you process something like this how do you get through something like this but lo and behold we did and you know hopefully you know we're better off in some ways uh you know for what we saw and what we learned through all that so that's kind of that's kind of how we we processed it all i guess in the in the wilson household uh back at the time
4: echoing what Jim said there too, is that like, that's, I think that's part of the reason why every year, you know, like, so maybe like in April, I'm not thinking of 9-11, but obviously around this time, you can't help but think of it. And I think that's part of the reason why I personally, and you know, sometimes my husband, but like we, I want to take the time to, to go on those different channels now that are running some of the documentaries again. I feel like I always find something that I haven't seen before or something that I can learn and not to really Live the moment because, you know, I'm a, you know, I like the trauma of it. But I, I like to see the the follow up. I like to learn about the families and and how they are dealing with it. And twenty years later, what you know, the interviews of that and like you said, the helpers, the people that went in, um, just all the kind of the 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 uh, maybe the unsung heroes who are now, you know, are are. They're the ones getting a lot of the recognition because of what they did that day. And so it's for me, that's kind of the how I want to honor these people, you know, the victims and all the other people that that maybe we didn't know about that first day um, because we were so focused on what had happened um, and who was responsible.
3: I think that's a great point. I mean, for me, I almost feel like I owe it to them. It's it's hard to explain why I would feel that way exactly. But so many people did so many great things that I do think around this time that, you know, you remember those who came before you and uh, it's well worth my time to just look back and remember, Hey, there was some real greatness uh, from Americans at that time. And so I personally, I just, I kind of like Sarah, it's hard for me to turn away from that stuff because not because I want to relive it because I don't, but I just feel like I kind of owe it to those heroes that, you know, ran into that building
4: and I feel like it's almost like any anniversary, like you think about it, whether it's a happy anniversary or a sad marking of a date, like you don't, you know, sometimes it just kind of gets filed back into, you know, into the back of your brain. And then as it, you know, the date inches closer and you're like, Oh yeah, my wedding anniversary is coming up. Oh, let's think about all the things I love about my husband, you know, or, or like the, the, the death of a family member. Oh gosh. Like, but let's think about all the memories we have of that person. So it's, I think this is just another one of those markings where you might not think about it all year long, but then you start to creep toward that anniversary date. And you you remember the moment, but also all the things that came after that maybe showed how resilient you were, um, whether it's a personal thing, a family thing, or a nation.
2: Now, usually, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know we will wrap up our podcast with an off-the-record question where we get a little light and fun and answer a question we haven't prepared for. Considering the gravity of this subject matter, we decided we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to wrap this one up with a parting thought from, from each of you, from each of us. Um, and, and we've addressed this to some degree, but I just want sort of your parting thought, the lessons of nine eleven, twenty 20 years later, if you could tell your young children, you have them, uh, Sarah and, and Amanda, uh, your grandchildren, a future generation, if you could tell them the most important lesson that you learned or that you think we collectively learned on nine eleven, two thousand and one, 2001, what would you or will you tell them? Amanda?
0: I think the thing that really sticks with me is that so many people were just – going about their ordinary day, and then everything changed. I mean, the, the people who died, they, they woke up, they went to work that morning, uh, no idea that that was going to happen. So it really drove home the point that in an instant, everything has changed. And when that resonates with you, I do think it it changes the way you go about your day, and it changes the way You live your life when you are very conscientious of the fact that in the blink of an eye, you could not have what you're used to having. So I think that will be a discussion. I mean, my, my children are two years old and four months old, so we haven't really had those conversations. But I also think it's changed the way that I will have those hard conversations with them. Because there weren't as many resources when 9-11 happened about how do you talk to kids about tragedies. And I didn't like that I felt like everyone was trying to tiptoe around me and shield me from it. That actually made it scarier and worse. And so I think it's changed the way that I'll have those conversations with my children. And and what I choose to shield them from and
2: what I don't.
4: Sarah? Um, I, I think... You know, my my gut response is that the human spirit is resilient, and that people are inherently good, and that I you know kind of like Jim. I just want to take away the good things here, and and same you know kind of with Amanda. I have an eight year old and a five year old, and you know telling them what they need without getting too much into the details um, is important because they deserve to know things. Um, and, and obviously, you know, certain ages, certain instances are different, but, but I do think that it's important to really, again, just that this just nine eleven, as well as any tragedy or whether it's again, personal or not, it, it impacts how you live your life. And, and I know that Tomorrow, it sounds so cliche, tomorrow's not promised and neither is two o'clock this afternoon. And so, you know, I want, I want every minute, every hour to be worth my time and I want to make it worth everyone else's time. And I want to show everyone that they're all worth it, you know? So I think that's kind of one of the the main things that I take away that I want to share with my friends and family and kids.
3: Jim, how about you? Yeah, I think the thing that, you know, again, we were trying to teach our kids right away because they were right in the middle of it at the time was, you know, don't sell yourself short. You're capable of anything in life. You know, love your neighbors. You know, get involved. Um, there were things there that you couldn't quite imagine people even doing, but they were doing it by the hundreds. Hundreds of people were running into that building on that day, and you there comes a point in life sometimes where you got to put others in front of yourself. And that's, you know, a basic concept that we've always tried to teach our children because we, we believe in God in our family. And, you know, we, I don't want to get too preachy on this, but, you know, we're all in this together in the human race. And, you know, sometimes extraordinary things are called upon you uh, to, to, to act. And so, uh, I think the big thing that uh, we kind of left uh, for with our family was there's times to act. You can always find a time to act, and when things like this happen, you've got to do something. You've got to act, and uh, and even though it's very frightening, uh, you you've got to do something. You can't just sit on the sidelines. So, um, you know, I guess you know just for me, just to wrap up my thoughts on this is again just so impressed with the American spirit. Ah, uh, the human spirit, as Sarah called it, uh, of that day. That's what I'll walk away from with all of this. Is all the people that sacrificed so much uh, in so many places that day, um, that we all kind of rose up together and and came together and got through it. You know, it wasn't about retaliating. You know, against Al Qaeda. For me, anyway, it was more about just how we all came together and how unity was so strong at the time. And I realized that's probably something I may never see in my lifetime again. And that's something that I personally cherish, that uh, it is possible. That gives me hope that we can come together all uh, someday um, just because I've seen it happen. And I can show that as a tangible event where anything's possible because we saw it time and time again that day.
2: One of the things that stands out to me from uh, 9-11 as a lesson is sort of a reminder that a lot of the things that we often, in times of peace or general relative peace, that we think are life and death, that we think are super-duper important, are pretty trivial. That there are uh, there are great risks and great evils in the world, um, and, you know, and that... One of the great lessons to me uh, from 9-11 is that while there is evil in the world, most of us are good, and we all have good, and, and, and our, our, our nature is to respond with good. You talked about the people taking people into their homes, the, the first responders who rushed into those buildings and, and risked and or gave their lives. Um, I, I think that's one of the great lessons is that good is, is bigger than evil, and uh, whether that's 9-11, whether that's whatever else, you know, life isn't lived backward, it's lived forward. So 9 is a lesson, but there is more evil out there that we will face as a human race, as Americans and, and the reality is just to remember that while that stuff is out there and, and it, the things that you may, might be fretting over today uh, are trivial trivial in comparison to the importance of the lives of, of yourselves, your families, your neighbors um, and uh, to just know going forward that that you know good's bigger than evil.
0: Sarah, Jim, as always, thanks for joining us. Um, It's being able to hear your memories and and your perspectives. I think it makes all of us better to understand where everyone is coming from when we, we talk about this day 20 years later. Thank you. And as always, thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, who you just heard from, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire for Brian Polson. We'll be back next week. Look around.